who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Even hardened genre fans will find themselves whimpering at each new revelation. Publishers Weekly. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Infected is a marvel of gonzo in-your-face up-to-the-minute terror. Lincoln Child, New York Times bestselling author of Relic and the Pendergrass series. 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 52. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, happy one-year anniversary, everybody. About a year ago, I remember thinking, you know, I like telling stories. Podcasting is getting big. Why not go for it? The world is full of creative and talented people. We shouldn't have a problem finding good stories. Well, we didn't have too much of a problem, and I've had the pleasure of reading and trying to bring to life a lot of really fun stuff. I've learned a lot since then, and I imagine I'll keep on learning. But overall, this has been good times. To tell you the truth, it's become one of my favorite pastimes. I want to thank Steve Ely and everyone over at EscapePod.org for not only being pioneers in this short fiction podcast territory, but for also being a large inspiration for this podcast. Also, thanks to Luke and Kendall, our co-editors, for handling all of our submissions and doing all the -the behind-the-scenes work. Most of my gratitude, though, goes out to you listeners. Without your support, this episode wouldn't be happening right now. I don't mean just financially, although (laughs) that certainly helps a lot. It's your contribution to the culture of Drabblecast that really throws kindling on this fire. We're a community of atypical people who enjoy atypical entertainment. I look forward to seeing our 2008-2009 run bring us new authors, new ideas, and most importantly, new faces in this community. Okay, all mandatory sappiness out of the way. On to today's story, Sleep Age by Jacob Sewell. Jacob is a member of a small geek colony out of northeast Kansas. He enjoys reading, writing, and other gerunds. Stick around after this story. I wrote a little anniversary present to all you listeners. 
So without further ado, Sleep Age by Jacob Sewell. The invention of the personal sleep capture system was heralded by many as the first great advance of the 21st century. The concept was simple. A user hooked himself up to the machine and it drained some of the energy from his body, storing it in an electrochemical cell. He would be left feeling very tired, as though he'd been awake and active for a long time. The idea was that users would siphon off energy when they had time to get extra sleep, and then use their surplus stored sleep when they needed to stay up. There was a brief fad of staying up through the entire work week and sleeping 48 hours straight on the weekends. No one quite agrees on who was first, but within a year of the time the machines became affordable, a string of sleep brokerages had popped up. Their names ranged from whimsical sleepless in Seattle, to dull, San Diego Bioelectric Energy Traders, LLC, to the now ubiquitous Sleep Bank. Names aside, they all offered basically the same service. For a fee, they would sell or lease you a charged sleep cell. Customers of the sleep banks got the best of both worlds. They could stay up on the borrowed sleep, but not have to sacrifice their weekends to charge their own batteries. Of course, all this energy had to come from someone. Most sleep banks have two entrances. The bright, spacious lobby in front is where the driven young professionals, students, and others go to buy sleep. Around back, there's a smaller, dimmer lobby, with a line of tired-looking people clutching their little blinking cylinders as they wait to have them verified to get their money. These are the people who really drive the sleep-age economy. Once the demand for sleep rose to the point where eight hours of sleep paid better than eight hours of entry-level work, millions of people quit their jobs and started sleeping in for a living. Unemployment is higher than it's been in a hundred years, but the economy is booming, because the most valuable commodity on the market is something that everyone can generate. Crime, poverty, homelessness, they're all way down, because there's always somebody willing to pay you to just lie down for a while. Things aren't all rosy, though. People who rely exclusively on borrowed sleep, which is just about everybody with a job now, become unable to sleep on their own after a while. There also seems to be a law of diminishing returns, or perhaps it's just easy to become addicted to perfect wakefulness. In any case, most wide eyes find themselves charging up six or eight times a day. At least they're ensuring that supply will never exceed demand. There are some purists who refuse to use the thing at all, some out of fear, some for religious reasons, and some out of sheer stubbornness. Their inability to work 80-hour weeks keeps them from competing in the job markets, so it's a shrinking group. I think the thing that bothers me the most are the flop houses. It's a logical progression, I suppose. Why go to the trouble of maintaining an apartment that you only see a couple hours a day, long enough to feed yourself, change cartridges, and maybe shower. 
Why waste valuable sleeping time going to the bank and selling your filled cells once a week? Why not just sell all your stuff and go somewhere where you can tell them how long you want to go under and let them take care of feeding you and cleaning you while you're asleep? How nice to wake up months or even years later to a check with nothing but dreams behind you. Yes, it's a logical progression, but if you've ever been to one, you may understand how I feel. Rows on rows of bunks, three or four high on the wall, full of people being fed through tubes as they sleep away their lives. Every once in a while, one of them starts to stir, and the machinery hums, sucking the sleeper back down. It's disturbing. The world has lived with the consequences of sleep storage for almost 30 years now. There are people alive today who haven't slept since they were infants. There are people alive today who've spent the majority of their lives sleeping for other people. An entire class of people who would have no other way to support themselves without the sleep banks and flop houses. And here in my house, hidden high in the mountains, I can't decide whether I should be proud or ashamed at the impact my invention has had on the world. Perhaps more importantly, I can't decide if I want to reveal my second invention. It's far too cold today to go outside, but if I did, if I took a walk in my backyard, I'd see an array of solar panels in what once might have been a garden. Connected to those panels, I would see a rack full of familiar blinking cylinders. And maybe, if I were feeling just a little tired, I might decide to take one inside and have a little nap. doesn't have a job, no he doesn't have a plan I said, baby, don't you worry, gonna make it somehow So tell me what your mom and daddy think of me now I'm a human battery In a sleep-age economy Trying to feed my family And put my kids through school The sleep bank hired me To harvest my energy And that was alright with me But I'm beginning to see the truth I'm so tired of sleeping How's that for irony? What's the point in even dreaming If all I'll ever be is a human battery? A human battery Yeah, I'm a triple A man in a double D world Like the Duracell bunny but without the pink bird 
the bourgeoisie living my life for me. As long as they can pay, they don't ever gotta sleep. Wake up a couple times a year to negotiate a raise. I get some time off for one or two holidays. There's not many perks and the hours really suck. It's like a bad dream and I'll never wake up. I'm a human battery in a sleep age economy. I'm sleeping through everything, including five Super Bowls. The sleep bank hired me to harvest my energy. It's starting to get to me, but it's all I've ever known. Won't you roll me over? My left side is getting raw. I'm another year older, but I haven't really lived at all, cause I'm a human battery. A human battery. I dream of a better life, but dreaming is all I ever do. Sometimes I wish I had a nine to five, sometimes I miss coming home to you. But a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. Get my PJs on and I stick in my feet into the hard day's work for a hard day's pay. Don't forget to change my bedpan twice a day. I'm a human battery in a sleep age economy. That's what I chose to be, but I'm beginning to see the light. The sleep bank hired me for my bioelectricity. And baby, it's killing me not having you in my life. So I'm gonna tell them to take this sleeping cartridge, shove it where the sun don't shine. Everybody knows that time is money, but money won't buy my time as a human battery. Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. For those of us with a boring 9-to-5 job, I hope this story and song gave you a new perspective. At least you're not a human battery being harvested for energy. And even if you are, at least your energy isn't being harvested by robots. Feedback for episode 45, The Fine Point by Gary Cuba. This story sparked a lot of discussion, which in my book is always a good thing. T. Baker summed up the whole by saying, After reading all the various reactions, I have to say that this is why I like flash fiction. Everybody here seems to have had a different interpretation of what the story was saying. Indeed, there was some heated discussion about several philosophical points that the story brought up. Unfortunately, quoting any of it would give the story away, so I shall refrain. The comment of the week surely came from Deflective, though, who said, Hearing one dude describe a paradigm-smashing discovery to another dude alone in the woods is like watching a co-ed wander off in her nightie. You'll have to listen to the story to fully appreciate that comment. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no-derivatives license, which means you can't change it and you can't sell it, but you can share it with whoever you like. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, you might consider throwing a donation our way via the PayPal link on our website. All donations are extremely appreciated. 
a week or two left in the People's Choice Drabblecast Awards, join our forums and cast your vote. The four stories up for Best Story of the Year Award are The Worm Within by Vincent Eaton, Jelly Park by Aaliyah Whiteley, Code Brown by Dermot Glennon, and The Beekeepers by J. Allen Pierce. Our staff is made up of Kendall Marshman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that there are a few jobs worse than sleeping your life away. Blowing brains at the head table. An hour ago this place was loaded And noise filled the room like the smoke And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass Words were all slurred when spoke Yes, words were all splurred when spoke You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy. But how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.